Thank you all for tuning into a new episode of Flight Focus. My name is Marissa, and the podcast is hosted by Exxon. Flight Focus is all about the experiences of people who shape the world of aviation and their unique path to where they are today. And our guest for today is Don Smith. He is a master pilot and a 60-year veteran of nearly all aspects of flying. So thank you, Don, for joining us today. Glad to be here. Thanks. So I'm going to start with that question. What got you interested in aviation? Well, I grew up in a small southwest Texas town, uh, uh, which recently became famous, uh, Uvalde. And it was a former uh, World War II training base. So as a kid in the mid-50s, I was fascinated by the abandoned control tower and the old wooden buildings that uh, had uh, uh, been the training base. So I was just a kid hanging around at the uh, at the airport. And then the uh, the Ground Observer Corps happened, uh, which I detail in my book. Uh, that was a bunch of, uh, before radar uh, was uh, widely available to detect uh, the Russian hordes from attacking, they had a bunch of us kids uh, with a telephone and binoculars. And we'd see an airplane fly over and we'd make a phone call to what they call the filter center. And that supposedly was going to uh, be our early warning system in the 50s. And then it, uh, then as uh, the radar coverage became more pervasive, uh, they uh, abandoned that. But it was a good excuse for me to hang out at the airport. So that that was my start. <clears throat> and uh, well, from there, I went to uh, <clears throat> servicing airplanes. And uh, then in the evening, I would... Uh, rent an airplane and fly away my earnings for that day and uh, and uh, by the time I got to college I was a uh, a 300 hour flight instructor which is kind of a silly notion that someone so inexperienced could uh, be an instructor but it was a way for me to build time so it was it was great fun and I know I mentioned previously that you are a master pilot but I was wondering if you could kind of give us a walk through of your background and everything you've done within like the world of aviation. Okay, uh, quickly enough, uh, let's see, from from uh, college, I went to Texas A&M and uh, uh, got a commission and went into the Air Force, went to undergraduate pilot training near my hometown here in San Antonio and uh, did well in pilot training and uh, got awarded a, uh, a fighter slot. So I flew uh, F-106 right out of pilot training and, and uh, stayed in the Air Force for uh, seven years and another three years in the Texas Air National Guard flying uh, F-106, F-102, and F-101. And I went to uh, Delta Airlines and uh, spent the next 29 years uh, having a pretty good time flying around the world in the, at, at Delta and uh, flew nearly all of their airplanes, uh, finishing up in the 777. Uh, and all this time I've tried to maintain an airplane of my own. There's only been a very brief period where I didn't own a little airplane of some sort. So I've kept up with general aviation. Um, <clears throat> so now I'm, now I'm retired from all of that. I still have a have the Bonanza. And uh, one, of the, one of the gadgets on the Bonanza, got to put you guys a plug in here. <laughs> it, this this uh, iPad holder, and this is a, uh, this is how it connects to the yoke on my Bonanza, and I'm I'm very pleased to have it, and it works great. 
it keeps the air, it no longer get the hot iPad warning. You know, when you're flying along there and uh, you've been flying for a couple hours and just about to shoot an approach and all of a sudden uh, uh, it says, uh, I'm turning off, uh, the iPad got too hot. It always happens at the worst time, of course, but uh, I'm very pleased with your product. That's what we love to hear. <laughs> yeah, have you had the Bonanza throughout your entire career or it was one that you just got recently towards the end? Uh, let's see, I've owned the Bonanza since uh, 2016. And uh, so it's, uh, I'm 76 now. I'm probably winding down in my <clears throat> aviation career, but uh, I've been going to Oshkosh the last uh, six years in a row. So it's it's always a, a pleasant trip in, in the Bonanza. And I've had, I think I've had nine airplanes in my life. So uh, one of which was the T-33, uh, which was a lot of fun back in the late nineties. Uh, I did a few air shows in that and got my low altitude card to do the air shows. And, and it's, a, it's a fighter type airplane. And uh, it was great fun taking, uh, taking people for a ride in that airplane who otherwise had never experienced what a fighter type air craft is like you know you pull g's and you do some aerobatics and go fast uh, it was it was great fun yeah that sounds amazing especially to like show everyone who's just as passionate about aviation what you have and i feel like that's just a great environment to be in <laughs> yeah it was it, it was uh it was an eye-opener <clears throat> having that t-33 and i've had had other couple of airplanes and then i had that uh I moved here to San Antonio in 2015 and I had a, a farm in Uvalde where I had a airport. So I, I flew my little, my airplanes out of, out of my farm, which was, uh, uh, which was quite an experience. I had, had a twin engine Baron for a while and uh, uh, not too many people elect to fly it off a grass strip, but it worked just fine. That sounds amazing. So after owning all these different types of aircrafts and flying as many as you have, do you notice that like any safety standards change across the board? Oh. <laughs> I feel like the answer is yes, but you know, yeah, dramatically. <laughs> and that, that's what my book is really about is how, how aviation has changed in the last 50 years. So uh, of course I exited from the air force and, and I'm not real aware of their safety standards now, but uh, I can certainly reflect on how, the airlines had changed when I when I started flying for the airlines in the 70s some of some of the uh, cowboy captains were just did outrageously dangerous stuff I was sitting there on the engineers panel thinking man I, I may not be this may not be the career for me and then uh, <clears throat> during the 80s uh, at least with Delta they had a bunch of bad experiences in the 80s the summer of shame where had an airplane land at the wrong airport and had a near miss over the North Atlantic and, and had, had actually a couple of crashes. And so that, uh, that jarred Delta airlines into becoming mainstream. And by the time the nineties rolled around, I was a, a Czech airman in the nineties and all of the, all of the new guys that I was checking out were absolutely fine. You know, they had been, uh, uh, they would, what the, what you and the passengers would want them to be. They were very safety conscious and very competent. And actually uh, it was it was a great airline in, af after they reformed in the late eighties. So yeah, safety standards have changed 
very dramatically. And another thing was that uh, I volunteered to do safety work with the Airline Pilots Association. And uh, somehow I got into the human factors part of it, which involved uh, uh, training, uh, aeromedical issues, and uh, cockpit design, which which has uh, impacted safety tremendously. So, and and I was able to witness uh, changes in all of those uh, quarters uh, over over my career and and safety. And you bet that things changed. In fact, uh, nearly everything that used to be able to kill you, uh, we fixed. I think that's great. You know, you, you named something like control fright in the terrain. You know, we've got terrain mapping in the airlines. You've got mid-air collisions. We've got uh, collision avoidance systems. Uh, the engines are reliable. The airplanes are reliable. So uh, it should give the passengers a lot of comfort to know that just about everything that uh, used to be able to get you, uh, we've got fixed. Yeah, I mean, as someone that flies commercial solely, that is very comforting for me to hear. But do you think that technology in the cockpit and just in aviation in general helped aid improving safety? Oh, absolutely. Uh, you know, they the uh, critics were fond of saying that most of the accidents were caused by pilot error back in the back in the eighties, and uh, and they had a good point uh, in in some respects in that uh, had very few engine and airframe failures. Uh, but on the other hand, when you're designing an, an aircraft from the beginning of the design to the to the construction and manufacture and implementation in the airlines, you know, there, there are always flaws. And James Reason uh, was one of the pioneers of talking about the, uh, the chain that uh, an accident doesn't just happen at one end of it. It's because the pilots are the last one to possibly save it. They get blamed for it. So you look at uh, many, many of the accidents uh, really originated in the design phase or the manufacturing phase when it was inadequate. And at the last minute, the pilot said, uh, well, we just swallowed 50 birds and the engines quit. Uh, so now it's up to the pilots to, uh, to save the airplane. Well, maybe we should have designed the engines to be a little bit more robust. So that's kind of an example of, of, of how that chain works. But uh, as far as pilots making stupid mistakes uh yes we have we have done gone a long ways from that and uh, that's the uh, crew crew management uh principle where in the old days uh one of the most dramatic changes the captain was god you know he tells you to do something that's uh dangerous or illegal and the answer was yes sir and uh, nowadays uh we have more of a team team concept where everybody is responsible if uh, if if the co-pilot goes along with something that's uh, dangerous, he's just as fired as the captain. So uh, that enhances our our safety to to be able to to isolate threats and to mitigate them uh, where everybody is a team player. So we we perhaps change more dramatically in our in our cockpit behavior than we have in the hardware in the last fifty years. Yeah, that's amazing. And have you experienced any scary moments while flying that could have been prevented if there were extra safety measures implemented? Uh, yeah, uh, I've I've seen some some stuff that uh, 
I, I can remember back in the 70s, the, uh, the the cute thing for the captains to do would be to do a power off approach and landing. Uh, so you're 100 miles out and they thought it was really clever to be able to rip the throttles to idle and to fly it all the way to touchdown without touching the throttles. And uh, of course, that's totally illegal. You know, with with the stabilized yeah. approach that we advocate nowadays, you you know, the to to be stabilized, you have the rules that where you must be at at a thousand feet, power up on speed uh, on course. So it was totally illegal, and uh, you know that doesn't happen anymore. It's just uh, uh, it's just a thing of the past. Thank goodness. Yeah, and. So throughout your entire career, I know you mentioned flying for Delta and also being in the Air Force. Did you have any particular job that you enjoyed the most and why? Uh, well, in the Air Force, uh, it was just so much fun to fly. The, I think my favorite airplane was the F-102. It, it's uh, The flight controls were so harmonious and it was, uh, I don't know, just a, a very very, very pleasant airplane to fly and uh, uh, flying for the Air Force was kind of an excuse for me and the airplane to go out and have a good time. So I, I enjoyed that airplane a lot. And uh, well, with, with the airline, uh, the getting to know the people on the crew was uh, always something I look forward to. You would have, uh, sometimes you'd be crewed with this, with, uh, well, always as nearly always the same uh, fellow pilots, whether it was just uh, back in the 737 days, it was just myself and one other person would be three or four days together to get to know each other and and uh, fascinating people. Most of the pilots, uh, you know, had a second career going and doing great things, making money, doing something else, but it was, it was always a great story. And, uh, and then the, uh, my last days in the triple uh, seven, uh, the airplane was so pleasant to fly. I, it was always just a, a joy to climb into that airplane and go somewhere in it. I love that airplane. Yeah, I feel like at that point, it's just such a peaceful experience and you get to travel too, which is always fun. <laughs> yeah, being, being and I, I miss, uh, I miss the, the crew interaction and I miss uh, being in faraway places. Uh, you know, the, the layout, you know, on the international flights, ordinarily when you have daily service, uh, you have a 24-hour layover for the your airplane gets taken out by the previous crew and and so forth. But you'd always have a 24-hour layover in places all over the world. It was really really great to to sightsee. Uh, uh, I love that. Yeah. So, what would you say are some like good characteristics of a pilot? If someone was like looking to get into aviation, what type of characteristics would they need to be successful? Uh, that's uh, let me think about that one. Uh, well, uh, I, I think uh, a calmness in uh, is important. Uh, I've seen people that react hysterically to uh, to uh, minor emergencies and uh, and kind of shut down. Uh, the ability to continue to function uh, when things aren't going well is something that as a flight instructor, I, I was always looking for to see, to see, uh, you know, we, we trick the students into pretending the engine failed and see how they react. And, and that calmness is important and uh, having, and being able to develop a sense of priorities, I think is very important uh, when you're, when you can't be distracted 
uh, by minor things when there's something really important that that you urgently need to attend to. So I, I think that's important. And uh, what else? Uh, I suppose once you once a student has uh, has tried out flying a little bit, uh, just uh, if they're able to have this uh, sense of spatial orientation, uh, been able to just maneuver the airplane, uh, you know, you'll you'll know that in a few hours of flight instruction to see if uh, you like it or you have a knack for it. So I think those are some important aspects, characteristics when if you're thinking about a career in aviation. And do you think that those can be developed over time? Because I feel like some people may go into aviation and try flying and then have that like code red shutdown moment. But if they work towards it, do you think that's something that they can move past and learn that calmness? I, th I think so. Uh, uh, I've known uh, I've known pilots, uh, professional pilots, that uh, admitted that they had uh, less talent in maneuvering the airplane, and always approached uh, situations uh, cautiously. And they became perfectly good, safe pilots just because they realized their limitations. So, uh, I think think that would be fine. Yes, I think you can learn learn that those skills. And so, I know we mentioned a little bit about your book. I actually have it right here. <laughs> what prompted you to want to write this book? Well, uh, throughout my whole life, I've kept a journal. So uh, I had a lot of material uh, and I had been writing some articles from different magazines uh, over the years as a aviation safety advocate. So uh, when the COVID hit and we were all quarantined, uh, that was a good time to, since I was gonna be hanging around the house anyway to, to get busy on this. So uh, with, my, with my journals, it, it only took me about uh, six months to, to put put the uh, put the book together and then it took another another six months to negotiate all the things that you do with getting a book out like uh, editing and formatting and publishing and uh, and this since was my first book uh, uh, I had to backtrack somewhat uh, from a few mistakes but it, I eventually eventually got it out. So if anyone is looking to read or purchase the book, where would be the best place to do so? Well, uh, <clears throat> Amazon, uh, you can just, uh, you can just uh, go to Amazon or Google Aeromorphosis and uh, it's available in uh, uh, hardback, uh, soft cover and ebook at, at Amazon. And uh, uh also, I'd like to suggest you can go to the uh, website, aeromorphosis.com, where I've uh, uh, published a bunch of uh, excerpts from the book where I read, read uh, some stories out of it, which would might make you, make you able to decide if you want to buy it or not. And uh, yeah, that'd be a good way to get it. You can also uh, have, have links in my website directly to Amazon to, to help you find it. Okay, perfect. And then if someone wants to reach out to you, I feel like going through the website would probably be the best way. Yeah, yeah. All my all my uh, uh, addresses and phone numbers and everything are in the in the website. If you want to find me and 
and or read the book and leave a comment on the website or better that better yet uh leave a comment at amazon if you like the book yeah and then i'm assuming you'll be at air venture next year as well i'm i'm planning to be there yeah okay. and you okay. yes i will definitely be there and do you fly in with bonanza Stashkosh or do you fly in on your own i, I fly in on my own uh okay. fly the bonanza in there and that's okay. It's kind of a story itself, you know, yeah. arriving in Oshkosh these days uh, is uh, pretty exciting with all the uh, all the traffic. Yeah, I I remember my first year at AirVenture watching everyone fly in within seconds. And I'm just like, I could feel the anxiety building in me and I'm not even flying the plane. So I feel like that's got to be an incredible experience as well. Well, yeah, and it's completely changed uh, this year. Uh, we have what we call... Uh, ADSB, which uh, is a device in our aircraft that allows the people on the ground, the air, air traffic control, to see our aircraft. Uh, it's our our tail number and speed. They've got all the information about our airplanes. So arriving at Oshkosh, the the air traffic controllers can see every airplane lined up out there. And in the past, it was such a uh, mess uh trying to get in there everybody's trying to get in at the same time this year with air traffic control they said okay all of you guys they giving everybody instructions way out like 50 miles out they say okay you circle out there and i remember one time coming in this year we i was in one of the one of the holding patterns and air traffic control say it called some other airplane like three three x-ray don't you make that turn there you're cheating go back <laughs> so it got a lot better organized this year i uh, it was much safer i think that's good. Hopefully that's kind of like the way that they'll do each year just to ensure the safety of everyone flying in. But yeah. Yeah, I, that's did you want me to uh, read an excerpt from the book or uh, yeah, or be out of time? Yeah, no, you can read whatever is your favorite part. I would okay, love to hear I, that. I lots of favorite parts, but I, <laughs> I would uh, finish up uh, reading reading a uh, a uh, this is from the the epilogue. This is the, the very last part of the book. Okay. Before takeoff check, please, I say, the first officer reads the challenge and response to most of the items. Our response only respond only to the flaps and window closed challenge. Delta 5-5, you're cleared for takeoff, says Atlanta Tower. As I push the throttles up, I can hear the engines 50 feet behind me make their characteristic whine and a few whooshes as the pneumatic valves modulate. Lining up on the runway, I ask, is everybody ready? They are. <clears throat> as I stand the throttles up to allow the engines to stabilize before applying takeoff power, I'm mindful of the effort that has brought us to this moment. Not only does 100 plus years of progress and sacrifice pave our way, but recently, the rigorous training of four pilots in the cockpit, equally important are 14 highly trained flight attendants in the cabin. Intense maintenance procedures, reservation agents, baggage handlers, and gate agents. There are many more, but it's time to fly. <clears throat> this flight to Tokyo Narita weighs 636,000 pounds. The runway allowable weight limit is 653,000 pounds. We have lots of slack. I press the toga take off and go around button on the front side of the left throttle. The throttles automatically advance to take off power. The engine pressure 
ratio gauge needles slip perfectly into their target bugs. The engine noise increases slightly in pitch and volume. At 50 knots, I have an effective rudder. At 80 knots, the first officer says, 80 knots, engine instruments check. Any minor, minor system warnings will now be inhibited by the engine indication and crew alerting system, ICAS. The engines begin to growl rather than whine as the fans reach speed. We now have 180,000 pounds of thrust pushing, in, pushing us into the sky. In the next 20 seconds, I earn my pay. Between 80 knots and takeoff decision speed, V1, I must decide whether or not to abort the takeoff. It's much like approaching a green light at speed in your car, looking for the light to change to yellow as you approach the point beyond which you cannot stop. The decision becomes more difficult. V1, VR, says the first officer, I say. With a little back pressure, the nose lifts off, soon followed by the mains. Positive rate, says the first officer. Gear up, please. Heading select, I say. Flying at takeoff safety speed, or V2, I'll wait for 1,000 feet above the ground. At 1,000 feet, I say, flaps up, VNAV, and the throttles reduce to climb power. The engines lower their pitch and loudness, as if to relax a little after the strenuous takeoff. The weather is good. The airplane is performing well. I feel great. We're taking almost 300 happy people to a place they want to be. What could be better than that? I love that so much. Because it's just something that if you're just a passenger on a plane, you don't think about any of that. You're just going from A to B and then you're going on vacation or whatever the outcome may be. Um, but yeah, I want to thank you so much for reading that. And I hope that I am able to finish the book. I did start it. Um, <laughs> and I love it so far. Well, it's a little, it's a little technical for, it's not really for everyone to enjoy every last bit of it, but I think there's something for everyone in it. Yeah, I love it. It really gives me some insight into aviation as someone who has been thinking about going for my private pilot's license. This is definitely a major resource for me. So I did want to thank you for that. Well, well, good luck with your uh, flying career. <laughs> yeah. yeah, and thank you so much for joining the podcast. I think that concludes all of my questions. Um, and yeah, I just want to thank you again. Okay, well, thanks for having me. It's been, uh, it's been fun talking to you. Yeah, you too. I hope you all enjoyed this episode. If there is any topics you want to see us cover in the future or any feedback you want to send us, be sure to do that through our website at exnot.com.